Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, March 15th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the latest from the legislature, including a surprise tax cut proposal, various sneaky moves, and the return of vouchers. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Hello. So, Senate President Pro Tem Jim Hendred and a bunch of other legislators, including a lot of Democrats, made a surprising announcement on Thursday, and that's their plan for a $100 million income tax cut for low- and middle-income taxpayers uh, that's offset by tax increases on cigarettes and vapes. Yeah, it's a, it was a real surprise, although Hendren had dropped some hints. He had something coming on tobacco still, which was necessary because of this giveaway to tobacco and a bill that supposedly raises money for UAMS. But, you know, the, the, the big tax bill for the session was going to be ACE's long-promised tax cut for rich people, and he gave it to them in spades. Uh, calls it a $100 million tax cut. It's more like 150 for the 11,000 richest people in Arkansas. And and what Hendren now has is the real deal, uh, an income tax cut that exempts the first $8,800 of income from the income taxes entirely, uh, a 50% increase in the de- deduction from 2200 to 3300 for taxpayers, and then a, an earned income tax credit equal to 5% of the federal credit uh, for low-income taxpayers, which is a real, a real bonus to poor people. I mean, it actually puts money in their pocket, and it's good for the state because they spend it if they get it. Well, this, they estimate, will cost about $100 million, and so they propose to pay for it by a whopping big increase in the cigarette tax uh, by about 80 cents a pack, uh, which which would only match Oklahoma, by the way, in terms of comparison with the neighboring state, and then a 68% tax on uh, vaping materials, that is the device that you pour liquid into and the liquid itself to ingest nicotine. Nobody really knows how much that'll that'll produce. Uh, the vaping is a growing enterprise in Arkansas. We don't have any method to know just exactly what it'll produce, but they were already furious, the people who sell this stuff, about a proposal somebody else had made earlier to put, I think, a 20% tax on vaping, so this is three times as big as that. The tobacco industry will not like this, and and where this will go, I don't know. He has 17 sponsors in the Senate. You only need 18 for majority vote. He has 40 in the House where you need 51. Everybody thinks the signature battle probably will be in-house. They expect he can get one more vote and pass it in the Senate, and then it goes to the House, and tobacco bills go to the House Rules Committee which is controlled by this House Speaker, Matthew Shepard. He appoints all its members. And traditionally, that committee has tended to give the Speaker what he wants. Uh, will he get into this one and take sides, or will he let them do their own bidding? We shall see. Uh, the governor's response on it was sort of, well, you know, I, this is interesting, <laughs> more or less, and said, if you are going to cut taxes because uh, revenues are important, you need to make it up somewhere. And so so we have that. You know, raising a sin tax, tobacco, is not the best way to do government. For one thing, a big tobacco tax will decrease consumption, and so revenue will fall over time from the tax increase. And the 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 tax cut is only a growing thing, basically, as the state grows. So, And 
in a note of irony, 10 years ago, the last time they increased the tobacco tax, Mike Beebe was governor and the Democrats controlled the legislature and Republicans raised hell about making a big tobacco tax. Then it was raised to pay for a medical trauma system in Arkansas. So, uh, you know, I, I, while I might not be a fan of the philosophy of sin taxes and that sort of thing, uh, boy, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to fault the notion of taxing dangerous materials at a high level and uh, of giving poor people a break. Okay. Well, if you had to game this, what, what would you say? Well, uh, as you noted, I think this morning when we were talking about it, Hendron didn't seem broken out with optimism about it, and the tobacco industry doesn't roll over easily. And I think one one very popular piece of resistance in the house will be just simply tax increases i mean you know you can just say i don't want to have a tax increase on my record because they've just asked voters to approve a sales tax for highways they've just raised the fuel tax i think there'll be some reluctance to do that but this is a sin tax right no but you know the the uh and you know there, there there is there is an alternate argument on tobacco it's not one i make particularly but Tobacco use tends to be concentrated among poorer people. I mean, that that's kind of how it's evolved. I mean, the elites were the first to really move toward stopping tobacco use for whatever reason. And so you're hitting a lot of people, some, some people that, a lot of anxious, and also the people who still smoke. I mean, they are really, I mean, they smoke. I mean, and they're, I mean, I say this as a son of a mother who, who smoked her her last days. And, I mean, I, there was sometimes a, a big question about who was more important, the cigarette or the, the kids, you know. So, so, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, you know, it's an addiction. I And, and I had it briefly some years ago, and so I'm, I'm not without sympathy on this issue. All right, before we talk about all the sneaky business, let's talk about guns. Uh, last week you were out. Benji and I talked a lot about Senator Stephanie Flowers. Um emotional uh, dealings with the stand your ground legislation that that episode prompted the senate to have a lot of spend a lot of time sharing their feelings uh, about what went on and how they handled it and uh, stephanie flowers i think she won yeah and and she said she wasn't apologetic and no, she said God would judge her for her use of some modest curse words like hell and damn, and she hoped he'd be well pleased, <laughs> which I liked. And, you know, there was, you know, her remarks were kind of interesting on several levels. She said, you know, I've been out here 16, 18 years, and nobody's noticed me before, and suddenly I'm noticed now, nationwide, in fact. But, you know, Jim Hendren, the leader of the Senate, said, you know, curse words are not part of the protocol, but sometimes they're understandable. And even Bob Ballinger, who's a gun nut and who was mortally offended by her speech and said so on Twitter, I said, oh, I love Stephanie, and, you know, you just don't understand. I wasn't really. And Alan Clark gave this long. He was kind of depicted as the heavy in the national media accounts because he turns to her during her speech and says, you need to stop. And what he says, and she more or less supports him. She doesn't really jump on Alan Clark is that, he was willing to let her say whatever she wanted to say, just not to use these these nasty words. And so he felt like he'd been unfairly demonized, and his speech was mostly about that and fake news. And he 
devoted more time to beating up on the news media than beating up on Stephanie Flowers. But where where it all left us is, is for now, the stand your ground bill that prompted this is not going forward in the Senate. And and I think you've got, of course, the key vote was the guy from uh, Jonesboro who wouldn't give the bill the needed extra vote. But but I think the national response to this was overwhelmingly in support of Stephanie Flowers because every single poll shows the majority favor more gun control, not less. And it might be that message, I don't think it's going to change the Arkansas legislature on guns generally, but on this particular bill, I think it may be hard to pass. And so that's so that's just a great thing, wonderful thing. It was John Cooper the senator? John from, Cooper, yeah, from, yeah. from Jonesboro. Well, from one controversial gun measure to another, Representative Richard Womack filed a bill <laughs> to eliminate nearly all gun-free zones in the state. Right, and and the and the the gun safety lobby is gearing up. It is it is hard for me to believe that this legislature, after the fight over the guns on campus bill that got Charlie Collins beat will be in a mood to expand the places you can take guns. Uh, but you know, I, I mean the gun, gun, uh, fervor is strong at the Arkansas legislature. We'll see. I mean, Womack's not a particularly, uh, uh, crowd leader at the legislature. And so, and so there's that, but, uh, and there's some debate about really whether this really will open it up in schools or won't open it up. But it certainly will open it up in some more public buildings. There's no doubt about that. And I, I just think the notion of, for example, opening up courthouses to guns is just, you know, it's it's crazy. I, my wife, for 26 years, was a judge primarily in domestic cases. And emotions run high on things like alimony and child support and domestic abuse. And, and I just think opening up the doors to people packing heat is just a, just an awful idea. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's talk about sneakiness. Uh, Representative Robin Lundstrom was really uh, out in front on this this week. Yeah, what a great week for Robin Lundstrom. Uh, first of all, they had a, a hurry-up, unannounced meeting of a House. Well, I mean, it was announced to the committee at the end of the day, but nobody in the public knew about it. And uh, so they had a, a rump meeting after the House had adjourned. Was it Tuesday night? Monday? I can't remember. And uh, she uses an opportunity to jam out of her committee without debate uh, her bill to roll back the minimum wage increase. Uh, I think it rolled it back for young workers, for people who work for nonprofits, and then just a little old measure to exempt small businesses, which just happened to be most of the businesses in Arkansas. Uh, and there was an immense, I mean, immense blowback to it, uh, and and it caused such a amount of noise. I mean, this thing, the minimum wage increase, was just approved in in November, four months later, the legislature is, is gutting it. And it was a poorly written bill as David Ramsey did some research with legal experts. And it wasn't, she, she insisted this wasn't the case, but labor, labor law experts said that the bills not only rolled it back, froze it for these people in these categories, it actually had the effect because the way it was poorly written 
to take the minimum wage back to seven twenty-five an hour, where it was before the last minimum wage increase. She's angry about it, and there's not much talking to Robin Lunchman. She says she's going to move ahead with the bill. I think she's amended it since then. Though, well, since yeah, well, she amended she amended one of them uh, to to make it clear that it only froze the wage, but it was only on one of the bills and only on the youthful bill, and not on the other one, which is really the more important and bigger bill. Well, uh, the governor was prompted to say at a public speech the next day that that while he had opposed a minimum wage increase, that he just didn't think it was right at this point to be overturning Arkansas voters. The Republican Party of Arkansas said more or less the same thing. She says she's going to move ahead, and I guess. And the the most interesting thing that happened in a way to me was when the governor announced his opposition to the rollback at the Political Animals Club. He called out the Chamber of Commerce lawyers, uh, lobbyists in the crowd, Kenny Hall, and said, uh, you know, kind of apologetically almost. So clearly this is a Chamber of Commerce move and because they, they, they opposed the amendment, which was approved by two-thirds of the voters, and they haven't given up trying to gut it. And, and I, I suspect they'll continue to try to gut it. It'll take a two-thirds vote. And so that's going to be hard. It won't get any Democrats voting for it, but the Democrats aren't even quite a quarter of the legislature, so they'll need some Republicans. But, but I think there was a sense that this this does, was not a good look. And and then of course it was followed up by another one of these hurry up meetings with Robin Lundstrom again in command, a rump meeting after the House adjourned Wednesday night, in which she tried to get a do not pass uh, label put on the landlord tenant bill, which to guarantee habitable housing for rental uh, tenants. And the sponsor of that bill wasn't even in the committee, Jimmy Gasway. Somebody called him and told him what was up and he hurried down there and they had a discussion and she pulled her motion back, but she was just trying to kill it dead right then. They're going to have a debate on this Monday. And that's a really rare thing to do. It's, it's almost never done. I mean, it, it, you get a do not pass. I mean, it is dead. You can't run it again. It's over. I, I can only remember it happening once on serious legislation in the last 20 years, and it was on a central Arkansas watershed bill that was hotly contested. So it's it's a big deal. And As Gasway explained, this is the delay in the bill is all due to the real Right. It was supposed to come up Wednesday morning, and, and Lunchroom says, well, I'm mad. All these people came here to be here for it, and it was pulled down. Well, it was pulled down because Gasway had met late into the night the night before trying to mollify the Arkansas Realtors Association, who are the opponents of this bill, and, and they wouldn't produce any amendments. I mean, they just want to kill this thing. This is the only state in the United States that doesn't have a habitability bill, and the realtors like it that way. And Robin Lundstrom, by the way, is a property manager, by the way, so she kind of has a self-interest in this topic, and I'm not saying she's a bad landlord. Maybe they have working heaters and, and smoke detectors in her apartments but uh, some people don't want to be made to require them to supply them and so that's so that's what happened so anyway there's going to be uh, there was finally an agreement reached and there's going to be a committee discussion of this bill for better or worse on monday and we'll we will see if if tenants in arkansas finally get the protection that 49 other states have i don't like their chances there's another sneaky thing that happened yesterday. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, and, 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 by, and, and I said this on my, my video cast today. I want to preface this by saying this is a place where the Arkansas legislature deserves a pat on the back, uh, unintentionally, I think. And that is this year, for the first time, the Senate joined the House in allowing 
videos of their sessions, uh, both of the Senate sessions and even more important, the committee sessions. Without that, we wouldn't have the Stephanie Flowers video. Wouldn't have had the Stephanie Flowers video, which was right, which was fabulous. And this is another one of those cases where the video caught a, a strange bit of committee business. And, and I want to say first that Senate committees have always been loosey-goosey. There are only eight members. There used to be seven. You need four. You used to need four. Now you need five votes to get a bill out of committee. But frequently the chairman would sign a bill out, it was called. It was just kind of understood if you knew nobody was going to had the had the votes to stop you from doing something sometimes you could just kind of move stuff to the floor well the issue in the senate committee last night was was a bill to uh increase the penalty for distracted driving for texting while driving and that's a good thing and they've got to do it i mean they wouldn't have done it but for the fact that some federal highway money is tied to it but in the course of doing that they also included a provision to change a seatbelt violation, not wearing one, from being a primary to a secondary offense. And this was one of the hottest fights in Arkansas legislative history on a seemingly minor issue. But 10 years ago, the legislature made seatbelt wearing a primary offense. And what that means is before you had to stop a motorist for some other reason before you could write him a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. Now the law allows you, if you see somebody, officers see somebody not wearing a seatbelt, you can stop them and give them a ticket just for that. Well, there's been a libertarian streak that never liked that to begin with, but the real problem is, is while the fine for not wearing a seatbelt is only $25, we have this admittedly terrible system in Arkansas in which any number of agencies from sheriffs to state police retirement to judicial retirement to other things add on court costs on everything that comes through court. And so if you get a seatbelt ticket, you end up paying more than $100 in some courts because of all the other court costs. Well, that particularly rankles some people. So they have this bill, and they had a steady procession of speakers last night saying, don't change this to a secondary violation. Bill Bryant, the head of the state police, said the statistics prove that seatbelt use saves lives. The penalty that's in place on this encourages people to wear their seatbelt. This is a terrible thing if you roll back from this. The, uh, there was no testimony against the bill, except some of the senators on the committee complained about the size of the fine with the added court costs, and the, the questioning was kind of hostile. Well, then, then finally in the end, the, the debate was over, and all these people had spoken, and the sponsor of the bill who's on the committee made the motion for uh, <clears throat> Blake Johnson for the due pass. He got a second from Ricky Hill. And then when Brianne Davis, who was sitting as chair because the chair, normal chair was sponsor of the bill called for a vote, there was one audible vote and that was by the sponsor Johnson in support. There wasn't a single other audible vote for the bill or against the bill. So she declared in theory, it takes five votes to get a bill out of committee so she declared the bill had failed. And then there was this suddenly hurried up conversation at the head of the table. And the video allowed me to get this great picture of Brianne Davis talking behind a sheet of paper to a Senate staff member about it, from which she finally turned the microphone back on and said, Oop, I've made an error. Actually, the bill passed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think we've heard the end of this. And I, I think the opponents will mount up in the House if it passes the Senate. I. You know, a Senate committee, when it's full of a certain segment of the Senate, is, is pretty, a pretty awful sight to behold. But 
But in any event, it was just a sign of how loosey-goosey the legislature can be and the rule of law and the rules of order don't always apply. But there's a video. You can go watch it yourself right now and and get a pretty good laugh out of it or, or cry, depending on your point of view. As we expected they would, vouchers have reemerged. Jim Hendren uh, has introduced uh, a so-called scholarship, education scholarship bill, and it's a voucher program. It follows a template that was uh, put into effect in Florida first with most success. And what it does is it allows taxpayers to say, I want whatever portion of your income tax return you can designate to go into a fund that pays for so-called scholarships to private schools, their vouchers. Uh, they would be limited to lower income students under 45 families, under 45,000 a year, I think. And, and of course, with only 3 million provided the first year, that'd cover about 400 students. But the, the problem is, is we already had a tiny voucher program based on this model, but it was solely for students who had individual education programs. That is, they had a disability of some sort that they could claim, I need this to go somewhere that has special instruction. In fact, there are no real controls on this program, and students are going to schools that, in some cases, almost certainly are not better qualified than some public school districts on some of these disabilities. But in any event, that's it may be 150 students, something like that. But this one doesn't require that. It, it merely the only requirement is is an income requirement, and so it would open up vouchers to 400 students. And this is the the classic camel's nose in the tent. Once a voucher program is authorized, it will only get bigger. I mean, the way these things work, a parent in the history of education has almost never been known to say, "I made a terrible choice for my child." In Louisiana, it's been studied up and down where they have this similar program the money's been taken particularly to really crappy jerkwater church schools that don't have accredited teachers and where the test scores have been worse for the kids than they were in the pub in the real public schools but no parents can admit that i mean they they the, parents simply aren't as tim griffin the lieutenant governor likes to say the best choice of education for their children they're the best choice of sending their kids a place they feel good about, but they're sometimes just not really well-versed in understanding what's necessarily the best available for kids. Sometimes yes, but some, a lot of times not. But in any event, the, the program will be judged as success, and it will only grow. And In Florida, where it started small, it's now a billion dollars going to private schools, and they've had scandal after scandal, and I think that's where Arkansas will end up if we do this. The, the other thing I guess I need to mention is one thing that happened. I'm Tim Griffin, who assigns bills to committee in the Senate, assigned this bill, which for all intents and purposes is an education bill, assigned it to the Revenue and Taxation Committee. I mean, it has this tax deduction component to it, but we already have that in place. There's no special tax expertise about it. It's a school voucher bill. And the Education Committee in the Senate has people like Joyce Elliott and Linda Chesterfield on it who are eloquent and outspoken defenders of public education well he didn't want to pull, put the bill in that committee so they put it to a to a friendlier committee sneaky sneaky finally six Little Rock legislators have filed a bill that would provide a pathway to return of local control for the lrsd yeah and and i i should say and i didn't write at the time because it was little rock legislators and clearly their first 
concern is Little Rock, right. but it would also apply to any, any other school, school sure. district that's in, in distress, so-called. Uh, it sets out a list of criteria by which a district, even in level five, as it's now called, of academic distress, could could be let off the list and resume control of, of the district and have their own school board. Uh, one of them would be rather than necessarily all schools meeting the the success standard is judged by by uh, testing on the ACT Aspire test. It could be just showing substantial progress, or it could be showing that you've got a workable plan to do better. Or it could include the fact that the district under state control hasn't improved over what it did under its own control. And, of course, that's Little Rock because it had six schools not meeting the the test score guideline when it was taken over by the state, and that number's now grown to eight under state leadership. So... So clearly they would ha- they would have a means to be put back in control under the outline of this bill. I can't sense, I think, the designs generally statewide by the people who are controlling policy, whether it's the Walton Family Foundation, their lobbyists, the governor, or Republicans generally have such animus toward the Little Rock School District, which still has a teacher's union. Uh, it's hard for me to see passage in the legislature of a bill that cuts Little Rock an even break. The strongest argument, of course, is is that there, but for the grace of God, goes every other school district in sure. the state, and 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 there are a lot of public school people in the state and and administrators, particularly, who understand this quite well, and there are a lot of schools that are not meeting the criteria for success on the ACT Aspire test because it's a new test, it's a tougher test. There are a lot of F schools out there. There are dozens of them, in fact, and if a district can be held it's a failing district on the strength of one or two schools that don't meet the standard. Well, then there are any number of districts that could be taken over, which is another argument why it's unfair to, to hold Little Rock out as they've done. So I don't know. I mean, it's it hadn't had a hearing yet, and I can't predict what what the what the outcome is going to be. But I'm glad to see the Little Rock legislators get together on it. I note that there's some people in uh, Little Rock who are not on that bill. Uh, several, in fact, which which interests me, including some people who are squarely in the Little Rock School District, uh, some on the fringe of it, like Andy Davis. But but anyway, uh, uh, you know, it's at least they're still fighting. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on to endorsements. What do you got? Well, I'm starting to read a, 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 a good book, and, uh, and I'm not through it yet, but it's good enough that it takes me so long because I can't stay awake late at night, but it's Susan Orlean, or Orleon, I don't know how you say her name, but she wrote Orlean. a book a year ago, uh, the library book about the 1986 fire at the Los Angeles Library. And it's, I mean, just the, the, the reconstruction of the immensity of that fire is, is breathtaking. But it's not just about, it's about the future of libraries and the time after books, and it's about the weirdos that hang out at libraries, and it's about... The, this weird guy who's been suspected of setting the fire and it's just it, I think it's like a lot of her books it goes off in a lot of different directions it so happens I got interested in this I was, went to dinner at a Los Angeles restaurant a few months ago that looks down on this building which is a classic old architectural low rise monument of, of the great period of California public architecture and then found out that and these people took us to dinner Ellen my wife bought this book for him. And she read it first and said it's just great, and it's what a great recommendation. It's just a it's a fascinating piece of reporting on a very interesting. You know, California having just been there, I, 
I don't know how to say this in a very insightful way, but it's, there was a, when you go there, you understand why so many people go there. And it's not just because of weather, and it's not just because of some of the natural attributes. There was a time when California really was the best place there was in the country. Now, there have been things that have happened. Their schools used to be so far better than every place else, and their colleges, and they've been strangled to some degree by money, and so things have changed. But you see some of the infrastructure, and one of them is these architectural monuments from their great period of growth, the the Spanish mission schoolhouses and just all this stuff. It's just a, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating place. Whatever whatever else you think about their politics, there's just a lot to see there. Which I want to say, by the way, one other unexpected endorsement. I'll go off on a tangent on the Richard Nixon Library in Yorba Linda. Really? Well, listen, it was great. I mean, that it is. It's now under control of the National Archives, and so it's not hagiographic hey, toward Nixon at all. There's a absolutely easy to follow, well documented chronological presentation of his career, full of film clips, full of documents and mementos. The Watergate Exposition is is full and fair and and tells the whole story of it, convictions and all. It's just, I was just fascinated by it. And of course, I mean, I'm, I'm not an admirer of Tricky Dick by, by any means. And I still say he was one of the biggest crooks ever, but you know, in particularly when you go through the parts about what a student he was of foreign policy and his trip to China and the outreach, and I know the Vietnam war, I mean, I know he did terrible stuff. Don't, don't hear me wrong. <laughs> liberals out there. But you ha- every five minutes I was thinking, look at Donald Trump and his lack of curiosity, his lack of intellect, and his lack of understanding of foreign affairs and foreign policy. And you have to say, man, Tricky wasn't so bad. He's relatively progressive <laughs> on the environment, too. Well, well, although one of the arguments you get from the library is, yeah, I mean, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, well, thanks to Richard Nixon. There were, he didn't care that much about domestic policy care about domestic politics and so uh, there's some theory that some of the good things that happened policy-wise on the domestic side were just because he was content to let the people around him do whatever and that led to the epa for example which is a great thing and so i don't know if that's i mean other people have studied that more than i have but yeah but no there there were some actually some progressive things on the domestic side as well that I, anyway i'd recommend a visit there it's uh, and there are and the, the opening film Again, I, I was really struck. I mean, it 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 hit the spots, the bad stuff, and I mean, it it was balanced. I mean, it said good things about him too, of course, but it was uh, it was it was it was an hour and a half well spent, good time. All right, well, I've got two quick ones. Uh, one of my favorite contemporary singer songwriters, Mac DeMarco, has a new song called Nobody. It's a really really good spring ditty. It's kind of an off kilter acoustic. Um, I don't know, slow rolling. It's just, it's a good sit out on your porch with a beer song. And an update, last week I, I mentioned uh, Little Rock rapper, singer, Carrie Foe's new album, or EP, Cry For Help. Big, big news this week. Uh, in an interview, Carrie Foe, who uh, is adopted and has talked about being adopted before, revealed that her biological father is Ball Jones, who... For, liter- for people who've been following Litterac rap for a while, it was a big deal. He was 
like the king of Little Rock rap in the early aughts. So that's some that's some uh, crazy lineage. Go check out. Uh, I did a post and put an old Ball Jones video, which is fun to watch because it was so long ago. And also his his album that got a lot of attention, at least locally. Um, is Ball Jones great album title um, with the song Crushing on it is available on Spotify and presumably other streaming services but you can check it all out on this I I gotta interject I finally read this morning the Tidwell piece in this month's times this reminds me it's so good yeah read that that's a good endorsement he's and he is uh, the special guest on Rock the Culture our uh, the podcast we distribute from Antoine Phillips and Charles Blake um, so check that out. I haven't got a chance to listen, but I'm, I'm sure it's a fascinating uh, insight into that. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. We'll be back next week. So yeah.